So obviously we are, we, we are on the doorstep of Rosh Hashanah. We are on the doorstep of Yom Kippur. We are on the doorstep of the <laughs> Jewish High Holies. Uh, you know, the month of Elul, the month that precedes Rosh Hashanah, is, is typically viewed as the gateway or passageway that brings us towards uh, the High Holidays. And therefore, it's traditionally been a time to try to think about, mull over the, the themes of the High Holidays and get yourself, so to speak, ready for, uh, you know, for the experience that is Rosh Hashanah and Yom, and, and Yom Kippur. Uh, in spirituality, we say that there cannot be any spiritual achievement without preparation. It's an important point. You cannot achieve anything without preparing for it. Nothing happens um, ad hoc. There's no ad hoc spiritual achievements. They always, they're always a, a product of a development, a product of, of a, a concerted effort, right? A, uh, um, you know, it, 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 it's a buildup, right? So to have achievements without... Preparation is not is a uh, spiritual impossibility. So when we talk about uh, like Rosh Hashanah and all the themes about Rosh Hashanah and all the lessons and everything that we could really gain and we could really you know revitalize our spiritual self, that's what it's about. It's renewal. It's revitalization. It's uh, forgiveness. It's a clean slate. It's it's you know it's a new you. We get to reinvent ourselves uh, and uh, you know every year during the high holidays uh, as individuals and as members of the community. Uh, so it's a tremendous spiritual opportunity, but the only way for us to maximize, uh, to harness this opportunity, is if we prepare for it. So that's why traditionally this month, the month of El, has been a month which is designated towards building yourself up in preparation <coughs> for the high holidays. We know that uh, we have a tradition to blow the shofar during the entire month of El. Uh, the Sephardic community has the tradition of St. Slichot, which is like uh, liturgical uh, prayers uh, every night or every morning of, of this month. Once again, it's just demonstrative of this idea that during the month of Elul, we are supposed to be getting ready for the High Holidays. When did the month begin? The month began uh, about uh, two weeks ago or a week ago. So no, two weeks ago. So when there's two no moon is when you... When, is that... When, the, when, when you can't see the moon, is that when a new month? You almost always can see the moon. The question is, there might be one night a month that you can't see the moon. But the difference is, is that where the small sliver becomes from this way to that way. Uh-huh. Right? During the 15th day of the month, it's it's always a full moon. Uh-huh. And during the beginning of the month, it's always a sliver. Right. But the, 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 the end of the previous month is a sliver facing one direction. And the beginning of the next month is a sliver facing the other direction. Okay. Make sense? Okay, so I wanted to pick a few. I wanted to curate a few of the themes that we encounter Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and analyze them, and maybe um, analyze them and maybe try to have some nice takeaways that we could have some practical takeaways. Um, so I'm going to be talking about four ideas, four aspects. Aspect number one is the idea of atonement. We know Right? Everyone's familiar with that verse, <laughs> which is talking about Yom Kippur. On this day, the Almighty is going to give you atonement, to purify yourself, right? From all your sins, in front of the Almighty, close to the Almighty, you should become pure, which is a beautiful, uh, it's a Torah description of what happens on Yom Kippur. It's a day of, of holiness, it's a day of purity, it's a day of forgiveness and atonement. And that's why we wear white and we fast and we're at a higher spiritual level and you know, we pray the whole day. Just as a day of mercy, tremendous day of mercy, uh, Yom Kippur is. So that's obviously a major, major theme where we, you know, we get sullied with our sins. You do a sin, it causes a blemish, a spiritual blemish in your soul, and you have the ability every year to, you know, refresh, refresh yourself and give give yourself a new clean bill of health. And um, on a more uh, macro scale, we, we say, Jews have uh, always argued that the Jewish people as a unit, the reason why we have survived so many years in such exile, in such persecution, anti-Semitism, pogroms, blood libels, inquisitions, holocausts, and we've survived without 
being a very great number and without having our national homeland or being united by even something as simple as a language is because. So how do we survive this miracle of history that the Jews are? How did we survive? The reason why we survived, uh, uh, argues spirit, uh, Jewish philosophy, is because we have Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur gives us the ability to refresh and uh, get a new lease on life and uh, e- eradicate, obliterate all the sins. And therefore, because we don't have the pile up, the built up of sins, we don't get destroyed. Don't we have the ability to do that every day, too? Absolutely. Absolutely. We do have the ability to you know, chuva as possible every day. Uh, but the day of Yom Kippur, there's a special uh, ability, a special sgula, uh, not sgula in the philosophical, in the Kabbalistic sense, but sgula means that it's, it's, a, it's the day that's designated for repentance. The Almighty has his arms open, so to speak. Um, and it's just, it, you know, any step that you do towards repentance will just right away be, you know, it's. What do you mean every day? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's that's true. But and every day we're supposed to do tshuva. But obviously the 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 client or yeah the you know the, 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 the <laughs> day the day right. I don't talk about that because I don't know what that means. What I don't talk about any kabbalah. Not in my class. Okay. Fifty gates. I never seen any gates. Okay, and show me where it says it. Okay. Don't give me any. King, don't bring the palace and walks among the people and become accessible. Yeah, become accessible. I, I, it's, I have my separate theories about how exactly it works. Um, you know, how exactly what is the difference between Yom Kippur and a regular day? Um, but uh, out of fifty gates, I've heard that idea. I don't know what it means. I haven't sourced it, so of course I haven't sourced it. Uh, but once we're on the topic, let me explain to you what I think happens in Yom Kippur. Um, the Talmud in 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 the Dharam, tracting the Dharam, says that the that the gematria, everyone knows gematria is the numerical value of the term Hasatan, the Satan, is three hundred and sixty four. Oh. What does that mean? One day less than the whole year. So it says that there's one day that the Satan does not have any power. And what day is that? The day of Yom Kippur. The day of Yom Kippur. Now, what is the Jewish definition of Satan? So this is, we have one Talmud and a Dharm. What, what's the Jewish definition of Satan? The adversary. Oh, what does that mean? It's somebody who challenges us. Somebody? An angel or a, a messenger of Hashem that challenges us to do the wrong thing, that tempts us to do the wrong thing, even though that's not what he wants us to do. Okay, so I'm going to give you a source to what you're saying, Rich. The source of what you're saying is in the Talmud, Baba Basra, 14a. It might be, <laughs> might be 50. Baba Basra, 14 or 15a, I can't remember which one it is. And it says, Who, Yetzer, Ra, Who, Satan, Who, Malach which means in English, this same entity is the Yetzer, Ra, the evil inclination, right? This same thing is the Satan, and this same thing is the Malach is the angel of death. All three of those are the same thing. And the Gemara elaborates. What does that mean? Initially, he tempts us to do sin. Right? Then, that's the Yetzirah. That's the first step. Then, he says, oh, he brings that to the Almighty and says, look, he sinned. And therefore, he gets license to take away his soul. Malachamavas. That's the, the, the angel of death. Right? These are three aspects. Not a curse. Just what happens to regular people. Um, and that's those three aspects are all are all under the offices of the same entity. You got Yetzirah, Kolm Yetzirah, Kolm Satan, Kolm Malachamavitz. It's all three functions of the same entity. And in English, that was the... The evil inclination, Satan, and angel of death. All three are the same thing. So if the Talmud in the Dharam tells us that HaSatan is Gematria 364, there's one day that he has no power, has no ability that would seem to indicate that the other functions of this fellow, the Hasatan, also don't have, don't have, do, uh, uh, do not operate on Yom Kippur. And therefore Yom Kippur is a special day where this entity, right, call him the Satan, call him the Yetzirah, call him the Malachamavis, does not function. Okay, the people have died on Yom Kippur. Okay, so, oh, okay, it's, maybe it's possible. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm curious. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe it was Amateurs a... Uh, died on Yom Kippur? 
of course it's happened Jews either you know, you poor, but it means that the spiritual force that is the so obviously people die but the, I understand your point I, I just yeah, curious yeah, yeah, no, no you're right no you're right I, you have to I have to clarify if, if, if your question is not is not too strong of a question but we could say in a certain degree the spiritual entity that is the you know the backbone of these things well people have sinned also so the evil inclination if you have no, you have no evil inclination why would you sin so maybe it's possible to sin without an evil inclination and it's possible to die without the, without the angel of death that, that would be the argument Oh, because uh, otherwise you'd have to say that just the Satan, just the Satan aspect of this, you know, three-headed monster doesn't, right? which which could, which is a very valid argument, and but my, my point might still be true even if that's true. But I like that. Good job. The answer, Hora, I mean that, that that appeals to our animal soul. We still have that animal soul even on Yom Kippur, and it's still fallible. It's not like our neshama. What's your argument? To explain why you so, can still sin? So no, no. So because you still have that animal soul. Therefore, therefore, you still can sin even without the Yitzhak. Okay, so like I said, you probably have to say something like that. Wait, but my point is like that. I want to get to the point. Um, we view and this is a this is a this is an idea that a lot of people won't agree with me on. Okay, we view man as being very close to the Almighty, while still being very far, very distant. Now, this is a thing you'll see in many many areas. I'm sharing with you guys gold. Gold. Turn your ears into the. It like open up your ears as big as you can and just soak it all in. Right. In many sources, you'll see indications of man being very, very close to the Almighty. Right. We say our soul is similar to the Almighty. Right. It's a. It's a. It's a, it's a portion of the Almighty. I don't like saying that. Uh, or it's, but it's it's similar to the Almighty. The Talmud says it compares it in two places. Once in Tractate to Thirty B and once in Tractate Brachas. 10b compares it to the Almighty in, in various ways. We're so close. There's nothing closer in the world, says the Zohar for you. I know this one because my grandfather quoted it. Like the heart of man. And in some aspects, we're very, very close to the Almighty. On other, and other, on other aspects, there's other indications that we're very, very distant from the Almighty. Right? So how do the, what is the reconciliation of these two realities? What are we? Are we close or are we far? So in my, in my opinion, the way it works is like this. We have a soul. We have a body, right? View the body as a ten meter thick <coughs> wall of concrete, covering up the soul. The soul. If you you can be far from someone and not being able not be able to contact them for one of two reasons, right? Either you're in other ends of the world, they're on the international space station, and you're in Houston. You're very very far away, or you're 10 feet away from each other, but there's a 10-foot-thick wall separating you two. Right? We're very far from the Almighty, but not because the Almighty's somewhere far away and we're terribly far away from, we have nothing to do with them. Right? We have a soul. Soul is tremendous, tremendous, tr- tremendous element of pure spirituality, which is like, like the Zohar says, right? there's nothing closer to God than the heart of man. But then we have the body. The body is that thick wall, right? The body with the Yetzahara, with the Chomriyut, with all these, all the schmutz that we have on top of our body, right? But the fact that, you know, that we have a, a physical, uh, a physical uh, enclosure to our spiritual entity, that muffles it up. And that makes it so hard for us to, uh, to connect. I mean, we're close to the Almighty, right? But there's a major barrier between us. Yom Kippur, what happens is that barrier gets temporarily lifted. Temporarily lifted. For whatever reason, the day, the the the, the inspiration of the day, like the Torah says that this is the day that you're close to the Almighty. How are you close? It's not like we're so far we were pulled away. No, we remained in the same place. What happens is that the barriers were lifted. That Satan, that Yetzirah, that Malach Amavis, which 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 epitomizes the barrier that we have between us and the Almighty. For whatever reason, Yom Kippur doesn't have any strength. And therefore, we're really close to him. So the cleansing happens after. <laughs> no, so that gives us an opportunity. So now, I, I want to just finish this point. I, I just um, This idea, I think, can be uh, so critical for our outlook on other aspects of, of, of Jewish life. 
you know, uh, it's very depressing if you really think about people, when people really think about the idea of being, you know, here on a mission and being obligated to fulfill the mission and being held liable. And, and we, we kind of were thrown onto earth without really a manual. We have a Torah, but it's, it's, it's not so much of a specific manual for us. And it's hard. It's, it's hard for us to really know what we're supposed to do. Where are we supposed to go? I find it tremendously comforting, um, this recognition of the fact that you're there. You don't need to go anywhere. You're there. All you got to do is break through those barriers, punch punch your little holes in this tremendous blockade that's separating you and the Almighty. You're not far from the Almighty, right? You don't need to go somewhere. You got to stay there. Just make sure that you break down some of the barriers and boom. But we don't have to break down the barriers because the barriers lifted. We can just oh, on Yom Kippur, and Yom Kippur is lifted, correct? With that, that, that affords us the tremendous opportunities of repentance, etc. Um, and and but 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 overall, our job in our lifetime is to try to puncture a, as big a hole in this barrier and as many holes in these in this, in, the, in, in these barriers as possible. So it's it's kind of like you, you should view it almost as a defensive war. To not let these barriers stand in your way, right? and you have uh, these barriers come, in, you know, in the form of challenges. That's what the barriers are. It's not like it's static barriers. They come in the form of challenges. They're 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 dynamic barriers. Uh, so your job is to fend them off and thereby eliminate them. So let me ask you a question. This has been something that's not only did we speak about last night, but this has been something that I've been ruminating on for years. How do you find your mission? I'm not. That's a very good question. I don't want to talk about that now. I want to talk. It's a very good question, and that's that's a separate discussion, uh, totally. But my 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 point is is that you don't really need to find something. Your mission will kind of come to you. Your mission is to withstand all those challenges because those challenges are your barriers, right? Whatever challenges you get, those are the cha- that that's that's your mission statement. Your mission is to find all those challenges. That's exactly my point. So, and this is an idea that my grandfather already said, so therefore I can feel very comfortable saying it. It says, whatever challenges a person specifically has, that is the description of his mission. Some people are challenged in certain areas, and some people are challenged in, challenged in other areas. Why? Because they have different missions. So this is a, a point which I think is, I think is gold. It's gold. You'll have the Masil Sisharm. The, uh, the Masil Sisharm, the uh, path of the just. He gives a description of what our job in life is. What's our job in life? And he says, you're a man, you're standing, I'm, I'm embellishing you a little bit, but this is his point. You're standing on a mountaintop and you have enemies coming at you from every direction. You have battle after battle. That's what happens. And then you you win this battle, there's a new battle. And you win that battle, there's a new battle. And, right? You're constantly, and if you win all the battles, you're Adama Sholem. You're the perfect, you're, you're the man who, who achieved perfection, which is what we all want. But what the, my takeaway from that is, is that you don't need to go anywhere. You're there. It's a defensive war, right? You're there. You're close to the Almighty. It's just you have those barriers. What are those barriers? All the challenges. You fed up the challenges. You knock down the barriers, and you're there. Your default status is there. That's my point. So I think it does. It does. It does uh, overlap into your question. And I see you seem to be very skeptical, and I kind of like that. Okay, so that's the idea number one. The idea of Yom Kippur is is atonement. Um, now, there's been a Jewish custom from time immemorial to also make Yom Kippur not just an exercise in atonement from the Almighty. You're seeking atonement from the Almighty for your uh, for your personal sins, but also to seek forgiveness from your fellows for your interper- interpersonal uh, uh, misdeeds. And we know that there's a been a tradition to ask forgiveness on Erev Yom Kippur, to ask forgiveness from your friends and your family and from your coworkers and from your spouses, etc. But also, there's also the additional element of forgiving someone who asks you for forgiveness to be receptive to their request and forgiving them. And now, I want to argue tonight that these two 
elements. The element of forgiveness, forgiving someone else, right? And the element of atonement, of getting your own personal atonement, are tremendously interconnected. And I'm going to explain what I mean. Now, uh, it's not just my idea. The idea is already echoed in, 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 in Chazal. That they say that if a person is hamavir uh, al-midosav, if someone is able to forgo their own uh, their own personal feelings, their own personal right, to be able to to, uh, to you know to not get upset at someone who upsets them, right? Then mavirin, uh, then we we move do away with his misdeeds. If you're able to overlook some, something bad that someone does to you. Right? Then the Almighty will overlook something bad that you did to him. The lesson is the lesson with this is as follows. Give me one second, Rich, to finish the point. Um, a general principle in all of uh, Jewish spirituality is the idea of mida connected mida, which means is that uh, uh, tit for tat. Right, the way a person treats others, that's how he is going to be treated. Right, if you are open to forgiving others, then the Almighty will be open to forgiving. You. Karma, you Not karma. It's real stuff. Now, I want to explain, um, first of all, the imperative. I hear what you're saying. Yes. But it's not just an, uh, some karma. statement. But it, it's like, it's reality. Yeah. That's my point. Karma is like, yeah, karma. Bad karma, good karma. So I say the measure. Um, so I want to explain the importance of, of forgiving others. <laughs> And being able to overlook the misdeeds that others have done to you, uh, and also demonstrate this point or explain this point of how, uh, when someone is willing to forgive others, how he is going to have atonement as it was he or she is going to have atonement as a result of that. Now, um, the idea of people holding a grudge against others is not a new idea, right? We know that it's unfortunate, but you know, we, we you know, the human condition is that. Uh, we're you know we're social and we encounter other people and we have relationships and we have personal we have uh, communal we have professional relationships and uh, invariably there's always going to be disagreements there's going to be fights there's going to be um, you know bad blood and that happens all the time there's grudges and there's you know people people don't always get along you know the way they should unfortunately oftentimes people bear grudges for way, way, way too long, and they never get over it. And I think this is something that we're all intimately familiar with, the idea of holding a grudge against someone for years, not being able to view them positively anymore. They did this to me, they offended me, they said they're not nice to me, they were insensitive, they were... Anything anything that someone did, did to you, it's very, very hard for us to really, really let go of that, to let go of that, of that emotional baggage and forgive. And point number one, I would say, is that bearing a grudge is really fruitless and laborious. Whenever you're bearing your grudge, you have, you're storing in your brain and in your consciousness this bad feeling towards someone, and you're not going to accomplish anything with that. All, you, all you're guaranteed to have is a little bit of misery in your life every time you see that person. You, get, you, you still feel that little pain. And one less friend. We don't have to forgive Hitler, right? I got this question the last time I spoke about this, which was this afternoon. I got the same exact question. I said, every time I speak about forgiveness, someone brings up the Hitler question. We're not talking about Hitler. We're talking about 98% of people. People that are basically good. Yes, absolutely. We don't have to forgive Hitler. Forgive Hitler. Hitler is, is Karis. That's what he mentioned. These are people that are just, uh, you know, can never come back. And, huh? Did you call him? I, I, I gave the Hebrew terminology of someone who's Who's excommunicated? Who's can never? Who can never? Can never be returned. Their soul can never be repaired. Karis. Uh, yes. So, point number one in forgiveness, I think, is is a pragmatic point. I'm not going to base it with any spiritual or any uh, Talmudical sources. The point is, is that it accomplishes nothing. Right. All it does is cause pain and anguish for the person who holds it, and guarantees to have him to have one, him or her to have one less friend. Point number two is that it's hypocritical. And I'm explaining to you why it's hypocritical to be a grudge. grudge. Why is it hypocritical? Because we are all good people. At least we all think we're good people. You ask most people, are you a good person? Yes. And then you ask them, tell me, do you ever make mistakes? Do you ever sin? 
You ever do things you regret? And people will always say, invariably say, if they're honest with themselves, what would they say? Yes. Absolutely. Everyone makes mistakes. But are you a good person? Yes. Yes. We all view ourselves as being basically good. And our mistakes, they're mistakes. Mistakes happen to everyone. We treat ourselves, we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We're good people who make mistakes sometimes. But when someone does something bad to us, what do we do? Do we say they're good people but they made mistakes? Or not? Well, are we hypocritical? Are we, hypo- are we being hypocritical or not? Okay. Typically, typically, that person, if you were to ask them, hey, did you do something? Was that nice what you said? They would say, well, you know what? It really wasn't nice. They'll admit it. It was a mistake. But are you a good person? Yeah, no, I'm a good person. We accord ourselves, right? We give ourselves the flexibility of being a good person who does mistakes. But if we bear a grudge, if we don't forgive someone for their misdeeds to us, we're being hypocritical. We're not giving the same treatment to someone else. If you're upset at someone, if you labeled someone as being bad in any way, to be in character, to be uh, in honesty, um, or any one of the ways that people can hold grudges, what you're in effect saying is that this person is a bad person. He or she is not a good person who made a mistake. If it's a good person who made a mistake, you could could still love them, you can live with them just like you live with yourself. We're all able to live with ourselves even though we made mistakes because of this specific point. We're able to make a distinction between us, who we are as people, and our activity, which is a mistake. But somehow, we don't give this to other people. Our tendency is not to view other people as good people who make mistakes, rather as bad people who do bad things. It's hypocritical for someone to bear a grudge against someone else, to not forgive. It's hypocritical to not forgive. What you're saying is, the way I view myself, I, I, you, you, I, uh, uh, it's tinted colored lenses it's called, right? You view yourself in such a rosy, rosy, what's the, what's, what's Rose-colored Rose-colored glasses, thank you. Rose-colored glasses. You give to yourself, but not to anyone else. You're being a hypocrite if you're not able to overcome your forgiveness. And I want to say another point. This is how um, atonement and forgiveness really go in hand in hand. And and that's the idea of what actually happens. What actually happens when someone gets, gets atonement? Yom Kippur, a day of tshuva, a day of repentance, a day of a day of, of atonement, right? Today, the Almighty gives us atonement. How do we gain atonement? How does it work that spiritual entities, spiritual maladies, get thrown away? It's some magic that happens that that you know that the spiritual uh, evil that we created with our activity just disappears. Is that what happens? Just it just disappears. It just poof disappears. Is that what happens? How does atonement work? So much about you how it works. The way it works is exactly the way we view ourselves. When we come to Yom Kippur, what do we tell the Almighty? Almighty, I made mistakes. I made mistakes, but that's not who I am. I'm a different person. Right? We're doing, we're saying to the Almighty what we say to ourselves. And that's what the idea of truth is. We'll get to that at the next point. We're telling the Almighty, listen, I made a mistake. We'll take a generic example. I was angry, which is a tremendous sin to be angry. I was angry. I had this angry episode, this episode of temper flare-up. I had it. And it was a bad thing to do. It was evil. But that's not who I am. I'm not an angry person. If I'm not an angry person, I made a mistake. People make mistakes. We're able to move on for them. And that's what the Almighty says. You know what? You're a good person who made mistakes. The same way we're able to live with ourselves after we do something bad, how do we do that? By saying we're good people who make mistakes. That's what, that's what people say. Right? We, we, we demonstrated that. Are you a good person? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> have you made mistakes? Yes. No, I'm a bad person. Okay, you so you're the exception. Person. <laughs> I do. You do. Yeah. Why? Because I make mistakes all the time. But that doesn't mean you make mistakes. It doesn't mean you're innately a bad person. You don't try and be hurtful. Do you? No. Well, 
Okay, so you made mistakes. But like on the Day of Atonement and, and before that, leading up to the Day of Atonement, so you're asking God to forgive you, right? So wipe your... Like, yeah, but I'll, I, I'm going to try and explain the, the mechanics of how it works. The mechanics of how it works, how atonement works. So you guys want to argue that just poof, wave the magic hand, right? I want to argue the thought like that. I want to argue that when the way atonement works is by demonstrating to God that I am not this person who does bad things, right? I'm a good person who once in a while acts out of character, right? I'm a, I, I'm a person that does X, right? Once in a while I do Y for whatever reason. There's a cause that brings it out, but that's not who I am. And if that's not who I am, and I tell your character, we're able to overlook that. Okay. In keeping sort of with kind of what Anson, kind of what you're saying, Rabbi Wolley, sort of, okay. So what if you say you're a, a human being who has limitations and you're asking just God to forgive those limitations? Right? Um, um, in other words, if I make the same mistake again and again and again, how can I expect it? So that's a separate question. That's a good question. But I want to argue that the mechanics of how repentance leads to, to tshuva is that during the time of repentance, during the time of, and I'll, I'm, going to, I'm going to follow up, but maybe I should, have, I should have presented it the other way around. I'm going to follow it up with how we explain, I want to explain how atonement works, and then I'm going to explain, okay, fine, you can, only, you can only have atonement if you have repentance. I probably should have explained how repentance works beforehand. Okay, so that was a bad job in preparation by my by my part. We'll get to we'll get to everything everyone's mentioning, okay? And Rich still has a question hanging on. I didn't forget about that. Uh, hundred. Okay, so you know what that means. If there's a hundred, you gotta wait all the way all the way to the end. But if it's just one, we can maybe sneak it in. So God let, let me explain. So God let me explain how the mechanics forgive, works. Forgive us as little mere humans with our No, not little mere humans. No, no, no. We're good humans. Okay. Repentance. Via repentance, we're able to make ourselves into good humans, right? Who make mistakes, but everyone makes mistakes, and we those mistakes were out of character, and that's how atonement works. No, we'll get to your point. I said we'll get to your point next. Next, okay. Um, you're asking a question, which is uh, what I printed last year, I printed the year before, I printed the year before, and it didn't change, right? That's your question. We'll get to that. That's a very valid question. Um, but the way atonement works is by us advocating to the Almighty, we are good people, the sins that we did were out of character, and therefore you have to view us as who we are, not the once in a while that we acted out of character. That is the argument that enables us to have repentance, to have atonement. Now, the only way, the only way that such an argument can be accepted is if we is if we treat others the same way. If when other people make mistakes to us, we're also able to say, hey, that was the person acting out of character. How could we, if we, if, if, if every time someone makes a mistake, someone does something wrong, we label them. Okay, this is an angry person. This is an impatient person. This is an unkind person. This is an insensitive person. What we're doing is we're saying that when someone acts one way at one one time one way, that's who they are as a person. Then it's how can we go to the Almighty and say, oh, when I acted that one time, that was out of character. That wasn't who I am. If that wasn't who, well, then how then how do you view other people uh, on the basis of their of their actions that they did once to you? It's inconsistent. You cannot be viewed uh, differently than how you view other people. Hence, the only way for us to make an argument in front of the Almighty to enable us to be granted atonement is if we forgive the people that did wrong to us. That's the only way to do it. Why? Because otherwise, you're being inconsistent and your argument doesn't go nowhere. So my question has to be asked. Okay. You're not willing to let me go any further. Okay, fine. Question, Rich. Somebody comes to you Okay. But you know that you were supposed to forgive them, so you say, yes, I forgive you. You say If it's insincere? But you don't have... Insincere forgiveness doesn't mean anything. Does it mean something to the other person, though? Huh? Yeah. Does it mean 
well, it might it, it, it might be so. That's a good question. We don't want them to have a bad year. Just if someone, if you say, "Listen, I forgive you with all my heart of hearts," right? It's it's your job to make it as real as possible. Absolutely. Uh, from their perspective, well, how would they know what you really? How could they know? I know, but from do they need to do any more than just to get your forgiveness? Maybe not. Uh, they have to try to get your sincere forgiveness. Mm-hmm. But from your perspective, from your perspective, you um, they can only do what they can do. They can't get. They can't burrow into your heart and find out what you're really, what you really, what you what you're really, you know, feeling in your heart of hearts. Now, um, as to your job, when someone asks you for forgiveness, it's a very hard thing to forgive someone who did something wrong to you. It's that that's the whole challenge of granting forgiveness, especially when the people do really hurtful things to you. And and your job is to forgive it and really move on and to be able to rebuild your relationship with that person because you really moved on from that. You really, it's ever never existed. Why? That was an anomaly. That person acted out of character. Right, here's the follow-up for you. Now, so let's just say hypothetically that there's this guy named John. And John defrauded me out of $86,000. And, um... Could you still let... Is there any way to still get the money? Anyway, maybe I could blood out of myself blood. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> John comes to me for forgiveness. I say, you know what, John? I understand you were going through some really difficult things. You don't have to... Wait, wait, wait. Question, question. Well, well, let me ask you a question. Is your question, do you want to forgive the money that he owes you or you want to forgive the grievance that he caused you? What's the question? Well, first it's forgiving the grievance that he caused. Okay. Okay. You don't ever have to forgive the money. Don't forgive the money. But, actually, my question has nothing to do with the money, though. It's always about the money. If you truly (laughs) forgive him, Next time he comes up to me with some sort of similar scenario, I can I should be able to say no. But then is that really for, did I really forgive yes, me? Because you could say I'm not stupid. Yeah, you don't have to be stupid, you right? Be but stupid there's a true forgiveness. Yeah, you forgive the grievance, but you know this is not a worthwhile investment. Right, I'm not going down that so road that's again. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Someone's an unskilled investor. And, and you, you're upset, about it. so you don't do it again. There's no reason to stick your foot in your mouth, right? right. You Self-flagellation is not encouraged. I understand, but I'm saying though, it is, you I'm moved on, but you learned your lesson. You don't have a personal grievance against that person. You know that this is not maybe not necessarily the best place to park your money. <laughs> you know you learned that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't have to change, but you're not upset about the person anymore. Okay. What if you tell him, "I forgive you as a person for what"? You know, what happened is the past, but you still owe me restitution. Yeah, don't ever forgive the money if you could ever get it. Why not? Um, he's currently a guest of the federal government. He gets three hots and a cock. <laughs> oh, and he has no assets? Uh, they've all been seized by the federal government. You can't claim any of them? How many more people did he defraud? I was... Oh, you got eighty six thousand out of it. Ponzi. Tell us more. Come on, we'll talk. <laughs> okay. Um, now I want to. This is what I probably should have said earlier, but how repentance works, and I think it really ties into how atonement works. Because what we wanted to argue is that the only way for someone to get atonement is if they forgive other people. Now, why is that? So we tried to explain that the mechanics of how atonement works, the mechanics of how atonement works are the same mechanics that you have to do, the same exercise that you need to do if you want to give someone forgiveness. So if you are not unable to give someone forgiveness, then you're saying that this mechanics don't, doesn't work. And therefore, why should it work for you? Forgiving yourself is not really what I'm talking about, but I, I, that's a good point. To no, talk, I did, even the, the idea is a, is a very intriguing idea of self-forgiveness. Can I ask something quick and trivial? Supposing you get angry for whatever reason, 
Um, but it wasn't such a terrible thing, and a day or a week later, you're not angry anymore. That's um, fine. You have to repent for having gotten angry. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Man, this is forgive, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I had a very, a, a very vociferous argument. I had a vociferous argument with someone, a very respected uh, Torah personality, uh, about this particular topic. I still think he's wrong. Uh, but he, he argued that the emotion, you can't be blamed, you can't be punished, you can't be viewed negatively uh, on the basis of an emotion that you have. It means you have an emotion to get angry, and that's your natural inclination. And that's what you were born with it. You didn't do anything, right? So you can't be blamed for that. What you could be blamed is that you didn't harness it, or you didn't, you didn't, that you translated the emotion into an action. That is a that is a punishable offense, says he. But uh, uh, but the actual getting angry in itself, not doing anything about it, is 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 well. He would argue it's not a sin. I would argue that it might be. I would argue that it might be. Is that is there is. I would. That's taking a big stand, right? I would argue that I might be. Really not. Because you work on your character. Yes, you're working on your character, but there are times. Well, the Torah tells you. No, the Torah tells you. The Torah tells you when to get angry. Yes. And when not to get angry. Yes. Right. Well, well, what if someone? Well, what today? As a radical example, so I saw today on ESPN.go.com. Website. There was this college football or basketball, baseball player who was just killed. Why? Something like that. I didn't read that. I just saw the headline. Because the kids were bored. What? From Australia. I don't remember where it was. Some kids were bored, so they just killed some guy. What? You can't. You can't justify to say, "Oh, I'm tired." I mean, that's the that's the parallel. So it's not really a perfect parallel. But you can't say, "Oh, I'm tired," so I can do this. No. It's or because you're tired. Or, they were angry. No, they were huh? They were Whatever. The point is, they can't say, oh, "Well, I was bored, so I can shoot the guy." Or I'm angry, so I can shoot. Well, it makes sense. No, if you if you're not allowed to be angry, then yeah. even if you're tired, you can't act that way. Right? You can't beat up your your spouse because you're angry. So if 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 anger is a problem, you shouldn't. But some people have. Okay, but, so that's. But then you do. But Chuba, you said it well. You said it perfectly. Chuba. Ha, Chuba. Absolutely. Absolutely. People who murder—it's a different story. That's in your Hitler question, right? That's not—that's not what we're talking about. People that murder—it's even and from. Right. So that's there you go. So you, you just did you 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 did chuba, right? You apologize and you you you, you know you, you won't do it again. Right. Right? You act that character. Yeah. Does your school sitter have forgiven? Yeah. Well, which 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 well, one? one of them? There's there's uh it's the one that says something to the effect of the person you know uh, the person who uh, gets angry slow and is gets over, over fast over versus four kinds you know, of guys. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, it, it even recognizes in there that, that anger is a, anger is a part of life. It's just how you deal with it. So the anger itself necessarily isn't isn't a sin. It's how you deal with the anger. And I'll tell. And I, like I, I said, this is a very uh, it's a very interesting and intriguing conversation. I don't think it's pertinent for right now. We're discussing how repentance works. But I, th- I told you, I mentioned I have had this argument. I'm sure there's va- valid opinions on either side of the argument. But I like what you said. Um, you know, and he, his argument is a very stellar argument. He's on a list. You can't be blamed for circumstances out of your, you know, out of your, uh, out of your control. You can't be blamed with that. Right? You can't be blamed. So if you have a natural instinct to have anger, that it's not something you caused yourself to, right? right? To have. But it's it a, is how you, how you. So that's what he would argue is that it's all about how you handle it. But you have to develop what patience, love. Well, it's called maturity, as far as I wrap on. So like on Yom we're not only asking for personal forgiveness, forgiveness, we're asking for community forgiveness. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And everybody that isn't there to. 
Now, um, so I wanted to demonstrate. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mentioned this at the, at the top at the top of the class, beginning. So, um, if you take a look at the, uh, uh, the Maimonides, he outlines the four elements of tshuva, four elements of seeking repentance. And uh, I think that if we were to analyze these four steps, uh, we would notice that we're very much trying to position ourselves in a way where we can receive atonement in a way that we describe that the mechanics of atonement to work. And this would, uh, would, would hopefully uh, be able to attenuate uh, the question that Anne mentioned. So uh, what are these four steps? Harata, which means regret. You recognize I made a mistake, was wrong, I did something that brought me further away from the Almighty, it which is bad for me. Right? Right? You, you, that step is Aziva Sachet, you abandon the activities, the actions that contribute towards you doing that particular sin or you living in that particular way of life. Three, you adopt the new, which is, you, you, you it's, it's, uh, uh, you adopt on yourself new practices and new activities which are positive, which are which are the antithesis of that activity that you that you did or that uh, forbidden that that evil act that uh, you're trying to atone for. And lastly, is vidui. Vidui means confession. What does that mean? Vidui is the concretization, the cementing of this new identity. Right. Someone does a sin. And they want to get out of it. What is their rationale? What what is their license to get out of it? How could you how could you move on? How could you undo what's done? Like we explained, the way atonement works is that that we try to demonstrate that that was an anomaly, right? I'm not that person. I'm a good person. I made a mistake, but I acted out of character. That's how atonement works. Tshuva is how we present ourselves. That's the argument that we set foot, we set forth, uh, and that and that tries to demonstrate that we're 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 a good person. We're not that person, right? Right. That person did something bad. I regret. Right? Step one. I regret that activity. Right. I ceased to do those things that brought me to that place. I ceased doing. The, I ceased to. to, to you know, to, to sin. I started doing new activities. I started acting in a positive way, right? And this is this is a, a new me, right? This me is a good person. This me that won't, won't do that. I won't do those sins. And lastly, I cement it. I I I, I, I make it tangible. I, I verbalize it. I verbalize my dedication towards this uh, this new me. Um, what do you mean? Someone sins by, by accident. What if we do? What if we sin and we don't know it's a sin? So that's uh, that's a case called a, an onus. Someone does something uh, inadvertently. It's addressed. Uh, Show again. Someone does something by mistake. Different kinds of mistakes. Mistake and inadvertently. Someone didn't know something. Didn't know it was Shabbos, and you know he did something which forbidden on Shabbos, or didn't know that the laws of Shabbos apply, so or whatever. You, you thought it was Tuesday, and you got up and you. You didn't have to forbidden on Shabbos, right? You started so baking. Foods weren't Bishul Yisrael, or you didn't know about it, or no positive. So that's so these so these are all outlined, and if you take a look at the Rambam is the best place to look at it. Maimonides and Hilchos Tshuva, the laws of Tshuva, the laws of repentance, describes everything there is to know about uh, uh, repentance and all these different situations. But the, the steps that repentance, what are the steps doing? And Maimonides even speaks this out. He says this man. Who's standing in front of you today on Yom Kippur, right? The day that I'm doing tshuva, the day I'm repenting. This is not the man who sinned. This is a good person, right? May have done mistakes, but overall a good person, right? And that's what, and that is what's going to afford us the ability to have to, 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 to you know, to be granted atonement. And if we want to be able to have that. Uh, atonement granted upon us, we have to be able to separate for other people as well, right? Separate them from the from the action, right? They they're a good person. They may have made a mistake, uh, but that's not who they are. I'm not going to label them.
Okay. Uh, so that's what I have to say. Those are my those are my my three ideas and how they interconnect. The idea of forgiveness for also oh, maybe four steps. Well, I know, but the three the three themes that I, that I wanted to cover: the idea of for, uh, repentance, four steps of repentance, the importance of forgiveness, the futility of maintaining your grudge, and uh, and how all these connect with the idea of atonement. If you forgive someone else, you'll get be right to atonement because that's how atonement works, and atonement and that's how repentance works, and how they interconnect. As to Anne's question, I forgot to mention. Um, No, your no. Your question was was even more than that. Your question was like uh, every year I repent it, and every year I go back to it. Point is that when someone repents, we look at them who they are right now. Right then, who are you right now? I don't care what happened, what happened tomorrow. I don't care what happened yesterday. Who are you right now? Right now, you're a different person. That's how I treat you right now. Chuva, boom. So, if, and if you were sincere, right then, right then. So then, afterwards, something else happened. Afterwards. Afterwards, you know, some new uh, evil inclination got into you, and you, you did something bad again. But that's that's already post facto. That's what I have to say. If anyone has any questions, or anyone uh, wants to uh, uh, tell me what a great class it was, was now's the time. Class. Everyone agrees? Mm-hmm. Clara, come on, say it. I've got to do with things like yeah, that. Yeah, we all. It becomes overwhelming when you realize how many questions I've got. It's also difficult when you, when you live with people that hold grudges and you have no control over their grudges with other people. Well, you, you have to worry about yourself. It can't change other people. I know. But you got to remember, right? If you own a garage, it's futile. Doesn't accomplish anything, right? Futility. Hypocrisy, it's, it's hypocritical because you don't view yourself that same way and it prevents atonement. Just forgive it. Move on. Some people, for some people it's easier for them to, to forgive like their close sick. relatives than, than people who aren't, aren't their relatives or they don't know that well, right? Or it might be the reverse for some people where they might hold a grudge with close relatives with other people. I don't know. Focus on yourself. Yeah, thanks. Um, 